Each time I see a little girl of five or six or seven, I can't resist a joyous urge to smile and say thank heaven for little girls. Four little girls get bigger every day. Thank heaven for little girls. They grow up in the most delightful way. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for a Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Daw. And. On this episode, we are starting the 1958 nominees with the winner, Gigi, starring Leslie Caron, sort of, mostly Louis Jordan. Yeah. (laughs) And co-starring Maurice Chevalier. From fucking Hell's Heart, Ernst Lubitsch stabs at us. Like, I, we cannot escape this dude's vibes, even when he's literally dead. So I feel like this might be the first episode in a while where you and I have, like, really intensely differing feelings about the movie because of Maurice Chevalier, who, to be fair, is 100% playing an Ernst Lubitsch character but in a movie that thinks Ernst Lubitsch characters are shitbags, which they are, always, but Ernst Lubitsch did not know that. <laughs> I mean, largely speaking, I think that is true. But just, we are, we start off on the wrongest foot imaginable with this movie. With Thank Heaven for Little Girls. Yeah, I, th- and and that is a, that is a, a theme that persists throughout the film that we were definitely going to have to talk about at some point, which is how how old is Gigi? Yeah, that's a big, that's a big that's a, question. That's a big question because they certainly do call her a child a whole lot. And she is playing with like eight-year-olds the first time you see her. <laughs> yeah. And the answer to that question in order for the film to be enjoyable is... 18 with my hands dripping into the like arm of my chair so hard my fingernails are bleeding <laughs> like i just like it's gotta be 18 right fellas it's 18 <laughs> it better fucking be 18 uh y- um <laughs> yeah i mean i feel like as a person who reads a lot of <laughs> ya novels it suffers from that issue of like Especially in historical fantasy YA novels where your girl protagonist by the end of the trilogy is getting married. Yeah. Or, like, is engaged to be married to secure some kind of alliance or whatever the fuck. Where you're like, so at the beginning she was 17 and a half. Okay, okay, all right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. She was 17 and a half. and, And this has been, like, at least six months this whole story right yeah the other thing too is that there's no real feeling of time in this because it is a musical and it absolutely suffers from musical time (laughs) where it's like two years four days who the fuck knows yeah i i can say it was a minimum of a month but i could also say it was a maximum of a month and three days yeah the only time we ever have time marked 
is when our himbo protagonist breaks up with his first shitty girlfriend and, like, paints the town red is, like, the only time we hear about time passing at all. Right, with with any sort of specificity, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, plot of this movie... Yeah. Leslie Caron is Gigi, a girl of indeterminate teen age. <laughs> yeah. Uh, living in Belle Epoque, Paris. Her mother, not mother, her aunt is training her to be a courtesan in the grand tradition of their family. Not really sure why, because it's not clear that her mom was also a courtesan, and also why is the aunt teaching her and not the mom, but whatever. Yeah. Questions that don't really need to be answered. (laughs) Yeah, she's also being, like, she's literally being raised by her grandmother. Oh, it's her grandmother, that's right, not her mother. But she goes off to these lessons with her aunt, who was a much more sort of successful courtesan in her youth than the grandmother who had kind of a long-running thing with Maurice Chevalier's character, who, if I didn't know Ernst Lubitsch films, I think would be kind of charming as a largely sexist, sexless, though also sexist, old womanizer. Like, you, he gallivants around with young women, but you don't really get the, like... No, you get the impression that those days are uh, behind him. <laughs> exactly. And it is only the baggage of watching all those Ernst fucking Lubitsch movies that make him not charming in the movie. Although, also saddling him with singing Thank Heaven for Little Girls as an over 60 man is a bad plan movie. Uh, yeah, but I mean, is it... Or is it saddling Maurice Chevalier as an over 60 man singing thank heaven for little girls that is the issue? I mean, yes, there's a lot of creepy shit that comes out of his mouth. And that song is the creepiest, to be honest. But I actually didn't find him to be repellent in the same way that you did. And and I think that for me, a lot of that was the context of the film and how the mores of this film are completely different from Ernst Lubitsch ones, but we will get there. Anyway, so Maurice Chevalier's character, who is Honoré, has a nephew who is Gaston, and Gaston is going through a typically French bit of ennui where he doesn't care about anything and nothing interests him. Yes. But he really likes, for whatever reason, hanging out with uh, Madame Alvarez and Gigi. Madame Alvarez being Gigi's grandmother. I don't really know how they know each other unless it was Honoré said, I used to have an affair with this woman and go be friends with her. I That is the sense you get. Yeah. Is that like their families know each other from back in the day when Gaston's uncle was banging the grandma. And like that that is that's how you know they're good people right i i mean i guess sure i'm fine with that that actually is kind of charming to me yeah i i i absolutely think so but gaston is sort of a reluctant playboy <laughs> yes uh because again he's like yeah i'm kind of bored with life and nothing excites me but he is dating this I mean, I guess she's also a courtesan, 
played by Ava Gabor, who is age appropriate to Louis Jordan or possibly significantly older. He has a big what ages he problem, but it is less uh, let us less of a plot central issue whether he is 26 or 40. Yeah. In terms of the yeah. plot. Like I uh yes, the, I mean he he definitely is a grown adult man who is out of school. Um and Gigi we see a number of times in her school uniform. Anyway, his latest mistress it turns out is having an affair with her ice skating instructor and when he finds this out, his uncle is like, well, we have to go and humiliate her, basically, wherever she is with the ice skating instructor. So they're at some, like, resort hotel. And they go and embarrass her. Pay her bow to leave the country and never come back. Yeah, they pay him a thousand pounds, or a thousand pounds. Yeah, God, that would be amazing. They pay him a thousand francs to never speak of this again. And then she quote-unquote attempts suicide, which I say because this is apparently something that is, um, like, within the movie is very much treated as a thing that women do when they are embarrassed in this way, where there's absolutely no intention of them actually killing themselves, which is, it's a weird thing, because there is a part of me that's like, man, this is not a thing that you should joke about, but also it's kind of darkly funny. <laughs> yes. I mean the fact that there's no intention of anyone actually hurting themselves and that it is about like the the weird gossipy status games that everybody plays in this society. Yeah. I, I guess makes it funny. <laughs> I I mean I think it works. I think it works because it is very clearly literally the first time you hear about it the thing is somebody being told she has committed suicide. Again. And the response being, <laughs> how many times is that now? <laughs> right, yeah. And and so and how how did she do it? Oh, the usual way, insufficient poison. Right. And like I kind of think that stuff and the stuff at Maxine's or what is the name of the club? I've Maxime. Thank you. Yeah. Just with an M yes, in the middle. Is is sort of the most effective stuff in the movie, inter- plot-wise. I mean, the most effective stuff in the movie is the costumes and the sets and the location shooting. And just and Leslie Caron, yeah. Vibe. <laughs> yeah. But, like, plot-wise, the part where I'm most locked in is that kind of stuff of how ridiculous this world is. Yes. Um, which I think you're right to say, like, unlike a Ernst Lubitsch movie... Large portions of this movie, at least, find these people absurd. Yes. And and there are some really cute ways that that is demonstrated, which we'll dig into when we get through the plot. But yeah, so Honoré congratulates Gaston on his, quote, first suicide. Gaston has decided he doesn't want to deal with being with anybody anymore, and he's going to go to the country. So he stops by Madame Alvarez's to see her and to see Gigi, before he goes to a going away dinner with 200 guests at the Eiffel Tower because he's leaving for the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Those details really, really do paint this world. And there's a, it's a woman riding a horse <laughs> indoors at this party. Um, yeah, it's pretty tremendous. Uh, yeah. So Gigi wants to go to the country or to the seaside, I guess, with him. 
and says that they should play cards and if she wins then he has to take her to the seaside and apparently she always cheats so she wins and then he has to take her and her grandmother to the seaside with him and his uncle the uncle is just kind of there separately he is trying to bang some 20 ish year old woman and failing throughout the whole weekend but i don't think they came together because of the intro to the um best song for him in the movie where he's talking with Gigi's grandmother about old times and does oh yes i remember it well which is a just fantastic number generally um and is also the right vibe for this guy of just like I'm a cad, but I know I'm a cad, and I know my days are numbered. Yes, and Hermione Jiggold, uh, who plays Madame Halvarez, is absolutely auditioning for the part of Madame Armfelt in A Little Night Music with this number. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't know it yet, because the musical hasn't been written yet, but she will be cast, because <laughs> she basically plays exactly the same role. <laughs> yeah. If you don't know it, go and listen to the original Broadway cast of A Little Night Music and uh, also brush up on your Sondheim because, like, what the fuck? And she's just totally charming and delightful and has a very particular voice. I actually didn't realize it was her until this song where she gets to sing. And I, I went, oh, my God, that's that's fucking Desiree Armfeld's mother from A Little Night Music. Oh, no, it actually is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they have that, and they have this very cute song about how Honoré remembers nothing correctly about their affair, but he remembers it beautifully, and that is touching for her. Yeah. Meanwhile, Gigi is being adorable and question mark age. Yeah. <laughs> which makes Gaston feel better and pulls him out of his ennui. And then... He goes to Monte Carlo and Gigi's aunt and grandmother decide that they're going to really ramp up Gigi's training so that she can become Gaston's mistress. And Gigi is kind of like, well, I guess that's what I've been training to do. So, okay, sure. Uh, And then there is a weirdly... (laughs) And I don't mean this in a bad way. There's a a weirdly sports movie montage of Gigi being (laughs) trained to be a courtesan. Yeah. And I'm like, there needs to be more montages of trainings that are not sports. I would agree. And I would say like this. Well, no, that's not even true. I'd say like this montage is great. And I think that this sort of period is the strongest portion of the movie in general because it really like locks in on like a vibe that I don't have to dig my fingernails into a chair about because this is where the plot becomes our himbo protagonist slowly figuring out he's in love with Gigi. (laughs) Um, And like what, what being in love is, which we've already kind of seen signifiers of that indications of that, where, like, there's this great bit after his first love interest attempts suicide where he goes like, you know, I feel kind of bad, actually, and I don't know why. <laughs> like, obviously, <laughs> there's no reason for it. Um, and everyone's like, oh, you're just tired. Right, yeah, go to the country. And, like, the, when he returns and Gigi has become a woman now, 
which hopefully means she's 18. He is deeply uncomfortable with this immediately. And it's just like, stop that. Go back to how you were. What is happening right now? Yes. And she's wearing this gorgeous dress and he comes in and he's like, no, I like you better in your tartan outfit, which is literally her school outfit. Uh, And she's like, well, you have terrible taste in clothes. And that actually is the point where I was digging my fingernails into the (laughs) arm of my sofa because I was like, I don't, um, I mean, you know, like, it's one thing to play around with the whole Catholic schoolgirl thing, but not when they are literally a Catholic (laughs) schoolgirl. Yeah, I, to me, this part worked in the sense of, like, I read it. And I think his performance is is doing a thing with it of him being uh, immediately uncomfortable with the fact that he's attracted to Shishi. And he does have a huge musical number about how young she is and how like, oh, wait, actually, though, fuck, I am in love with her. Like, when the hell did she become a woman and when did I become in love with her? That like mostly manages to I mean, it certainly manages to walk this line way fucking better than thank heaven for little girls around what age is she? she. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it really uh, it made me super uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> I, okay, but, yeah. Uh, just because it says it, it, he like repeatedly uses the word child in that song, but whatever. I mean, they both make me uncomfortable. I'm not saying that thank, heavens, thank heaven for little girls gets off scot-free, because no. But I, I think, yes, I think that, that uh, Louis Jordan is playing this, or Louis Jordan is playing this pretty well. Um, I wish that they had not written the word child and girl into the song that he sings about it so many times. But also, I feel like Leslie Caron has done an incredible job of convincing me that in that five-minute montage, she went from being 14 to 18. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you just have to spot this movie that, like, the reason the aunt and the grandma go into fucking overdrive about this is, like, they've gone off for this weekend and she's 18 now, and so that has a completely different meaning. Like, that's that's what you... The movie does not do that work for you, um, but you just have to go, that's what happened, because anything else is a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, and I, and again, I do really think that Leslie Caron is pulling it off, that she plays Gigi when she is a kid that everybody is like, oh, look how, look what a scamp she is, to being this incredibly elegant woman really well. Yeah. She's, I mean, her performance is fucking amazing. But yeah, so he figures out that he's in love with Gigi and he tells her and... Well, tells the grandma. Right. And they they do this all this negotiating about making Gigi his mistress, even though he's not married. Just That's just what you do. When you're in love with someone, you make them your mistress. Well, I mean, mistress is just like the, the person to whom you are not married. Right, right. Um, and, you know, this is also what his uncle has taught him his whole life, is that you don't get married. You have a mistress, and then you discard her, and then you have another mistress. <laughs> right. Like, that's 
again, that's sort of trying. what I'm trying to say is that, like, I think it is kind of adorable that he immediately jumps from, well, I'm in love with her, to, well, then there's nothing to be done but make her my mistress. And then is, a meet, like, for the rest of the film is struggling with, like, but I don't actually want to, like, break up with her ever. <laughs> like, I don't actually want to do the part where I discard her and move on to another woman. And so, like, what am I supposed to do? Because I'm in love with her and there's no arrangement for wanting to spend my life with a person I'm in love with. <laughs> Um, <laughs> what would that even be called? You know? Ugh. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so Gigi, you know, is told this by her grandmother. Uh, and they all anticipate that she's going to be really thrilled about this. And she's like, no, I don't want this at all. This ruins our friendship. Can't we just stay friends? And that goes pretty, pretty poorly. <laughs> yeah. And then Gigi says that, okay, fine, you know, I'd rather be miserable with you than without you. So if this is what it's going to be, then fine, because I miss you. And then he takes her to Maxime's and she's like an absolutely perfect example of a courtesan. She does all of the things that she has been trained to do perfectly, which deeply upsets Gaston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, and then Honoré says the, I think what actually might be the creepiest thing in the movie where he says, you know, oh, she's so young. That's great because, you know, sophisticated women, you get so bored with them so quickly, but really young girls, that's, that's, I mean, it's like, what the fuck, dude? (laughs) Yeah. Like, that's the... Anyway, we'll we'll get to it because we're almost at the end of the plot because Gaston takes her home and freaks out and has another long sit-down himbo think about why this has upset him so much and remembers that marriage is a thing that exists Yep. and asks to marry Gigi. And then they get married. Yeah, and then they get married and end of film and why are we doing a reprise, thank heaven for little girls at the end of this fucking movie. Stop it. Stop singing this song. God damn it. Um, uh, uh, and by getting married, we have, by getting married in a way that does not, uh, like, demean Gigi, but in fact is what she wanted and feels more comfortable and right and secure for her, this is where this movie departs so hard from Ernst Lubitsch <laughs> that I can spot it, I, I, I can spot it, Maurice Chevalier. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I would say now that we are done with the plot that I generally agree with you, but I am a little bit more on the fence about whether or not this movie generally agrees with you. Like, I think this movie's ending is not an Ernst Lubitsch ending, but like. It starts with Thank Heaven for Little Girls. It ends with Thank Heaven for Little Girls. There's at least two reprises of Thank Heaven for Little Girls within the film. And, like, there is this thing where I think the performances are doing good work pulling us out of it. But the plot of this movie is creepy. Yeah, I'm un- unquestionably, and I think it's actually, I think one of the things that's really fascinating about this movie to me is, you know, the the Hays Code has had some of its teeth pulled out, but is not gone at this point. Yeah. And this movie, in a very cutesy, very um, 
very bright lights, beautiful costumes way is dealing with a pretty intensely adult idea and an overtly sexual one at that. I mean, she's being trained to be a sex worker. Maurice Chevalier is like, yeah, sleep with people and then jilt them. That's the thing to do. I guess there's no explicit, this person had sex with this person and then, and they weren't married and then they broke up. But it's, I mean, it is, it's explicit enough. There's no question about what this movie is about. (laughs) Uh, Or what Gigi is being trained to be. Yeah. I mean, I think there is some question what Gigi is being trained to be. I think that there is definitely an out here of like, no, she's just being trained to be a eligible young woman. Which she isn't. They literally use the words courtesan, the word courtesan multiple times. Do they? Yeah. The aunt does, but the aunt kind of just does that. Like, I I don't know. I And there's the whole thing I, with Madame Alvarez about, like, you know, there's some people who, who get married first, and then there are some people who get married at last. And you were being trained, like most of, like all of the women in our family, to be the latter. I mean, like... It's disgust. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And like, I, I do think that there is, I mean, I guess the sort of moral upright thing here is that Gigi doesn't like it, right? I mean, I actually don't think that there's anything morally wrong with being trained to be a courtesan. I'm just saying that the... Yeah, in terms of the Hayes Code, I mean. Right. Um, In terms of the Hayes Code outlook on this, it is that like, this is something Gigi is pushing against. But also... It is something that by having Maurice Chevalier behave as the way that the way that he does and being really the only well that's not true but being the only uh main character in the film who has absolutely no character arc and is the same guy from beginning of movie to end down to singing the same song who is like marriage is stupid and you should just sleep around your whole life and be this you know playboy cad and there's no punishment that he suffers for this or anything. We're in a different era of the Hayes Code. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is... It is a movie that, you're right, is made better and more interesting by the fact that, the like, Hayes Code is losing its grip on Hollywood. Like, it's the late 50s. It's still, it, it still in name, is a censorship board that has absolute power over Hollywood. But in practice... People are just kind of ignoring it left and right and and increasingly just kind of playing chicken with it until it gives and it keeps given. Well, and and there's already been the Supreme Court, uh, at least one Supreme Court case about, like, is the Hayes Code in line with the First Amendment? And the the decision as to, like, what is proper and what isn't, it does not come down on the side of pure freedom of speech, but does cut some things out from what the Hayes Code previously blocked. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, nobody in this movie who is a, a who sleeps around is punished for it. In fact, there's the whole joke about the fake suicide where it's like, oh, that's all the punishment anyone is expecting. Yeah. It's like, well, if it was made public, we have to do this whole song and dance, but nobody really cares. Yeah. As long as you provide the gossip. <laughs> I I guess I'm just sort of trying to think through my feelings on this movie 
And, like, the way that it feels like this is a movie that has really suffered from the shape of this project. That, like, in a weird way, knowing my film history makes this movie significantly worse. Because, like, when you're casting Maurice Chevalier in Paris doing musical numbers about infidelity, you are evoking a certain thing, right? Yeah. And that certain thing you are evoking is what you need to absolutely not be looking very hard at for this movie to work. Yes. That history, that sense, because it it doesn't let him win. What wins in the end is like a healthy monogamous relationship where the male lead didn't cheat on the female lead at any point. But like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but like it. It doesn't have that same ending as a Lubitsch movie, but it does have that energy at points. And it is a dangerous thing to be kind of playing around with. And you have to kind of spot the movie that because it doesn't always do a great job with that energy. And like, I think in a weird way, you sort of said earlier that like, you hate Maurice Chevalier's character less than I do. And I kind of wish I hated him more because I've it's Maurice Chevalier. We have always said he's fucking likable and that's a problem. <laughs> and he still is. And it, I kind of wish this movie had indicted him a little more directly because I don't think that read is wrong necessarily, but I think you got to kind of put in some work on that read. Yeah. And I wish I had to put some, put less work to get there, um, to get to the version of this movie's take on its own plot that I agree with. I agree with you that the movie does not necessarily put in that work, but I have a few thoughts on this. So one, I actually had this same thought of like the whole idea of this project is that we watch these films and we evaluate them without the context in theory, without the context of what makes them historically important, right? That we are doing this like new criticism thing. And the thing is like, does the film stand on its own if you take it out of the context of, oh, well, it was very good for the time or it did this thing first which, you know, a lot of the movies that are nominated for Best Picture are nominated because they, you know, break some technical barrier um, that had never been broken before, which, you know, in retrospect, does not necessarily a great film make. But I never really thought about the other side of that, which is that as you watch these movies, you come to know these actors or directors or writers or whatever, and and that... I mean, we are human beings. Like, we can't just come to the movie and be like, I have erased all of Maurice Chevalier from my brain before watching Gigi. Yeah. Um, but there is a part of me that wants to argue, and I'm not sure that there is enough evidence in this film really for me to back this up, but the work I guess I was doing for myself is that by evoking Maurice Chevalier as this, you know, unrepentant playboy singing about women in Parisian parks, but now with white hair and wrinkles and clearly in his 60s, that that's the parody of it is like, really, man, you still haven't grown up. 
really? Which doesn't work if it is someone else. But I mean, I'm, I like it for that reason, because I think that I think that that's what the that's where the tension is between uh, Gaston and Honoré is that Honoré is this is this creature from a from a previous era who is like, well, we're rich, so we don't settle down and we just have, you know, beautiful woman after beautiful woman on our arm forever. And Gaston doesn't understand why this isn't making him happy and then realizes that the example that has been set for him is for him rather outdated and actually what he wants is to love his wife and settle down (laughs) and i don't know if that works if it's not maurice chevalier yeah i mean so i i kind of want to meet you in the middle here because you sort of keep the, the thing you keep saying that i think i object to is like that this movie kind of indicts that and i think this movie you're right to say like moves past it that gaston is as you say very clearly not of that era and that it, we are very clearly saying, like, there is this new thing now. And he th- that that he does not find happiness in that sort of model. But I don't think the movie really goes so far as to say, like, hey, also that model was creepy, <laughs> which I would like it to have done. Yeah, I don't I don't think it does do that. You're right. And I don't think that it says that. Uh, well, I mean, I don't. I don't necessarily think that that model is creepy. You know, if you can, if you can pay for it, like women need, <laughs> need clothes and roofs over their heads. So whatever. I mean, the fact that he keeps going for younger and younger women makes me super fucking uncomfortable. And that I do think is creepy, but it never, in no, it does not indict him. It does not say, oh, well, he wasted his life and now he wishes that he, you know, had settled down with madame alvarez or something like that the the song that they have is sweet and it's very nostalgic but it's not it's not like either one of them thinks oh if only we had just settled down and gotten married yeah and like i I, in a weird way that i'm fine with like in but at the same time i'm it is what i'm asking for i guess which is like this complicated thing around like if you're going to evoke all of Lubitsch in that way, all of the sort of 1930s sex farces of like, it's fine if you're cheating on your wife, it's kind of your wife's job to deal with it. You kind of need to do something more with that than just evoke it. And I kind of think this movie wants to have it both ways a little bit around like, we're moving forward. We're not really doing that anymore, but we're also not really taking a hard look on why that shit was kind of creepy. And does this movie even know that shit was kind of creepy, given, thank heaven for little girls? Yeah, I mean, I think we're actually in two different places there, though, right? Because, like, what's creepy about thank heaven for little girls uh, is that it's about I mean, it's subtextual, but it's almost text. Sexualizing underage girls, right? Whereas, like, the Lubitsch sex farces of the 30s, he was always with women who were adults. At least the ones that we've seen. I mean, I haven't seen all of them because I would rather uh, stick needles in my eyes than watch any Ernst Lubitsch film I did not need to watch for this project. 
but you know, one hour with you is a bunch of 30s, 40 something year old people who are doing a bit of wife swapping type stuff. And in a weird way, I feel like being honest about never wanting to get married and like, look, the arrangement here is that you stay pretty and charming and I'll keep paying for you to live is at least a little bit more honest. <laughs> um, But the sexualizing of girls, not young women, of girls that Honoré does is the thing that really creeps me out more than the being a playboy part. Does that make sense? I, yes, and I agree, and I think that, like, th- I think what makes the performance not work for me is a, a sense of continuity, you're right, not in, like, not in the specifics of the sexual politics, but of the Maurice Chevalier kind of arch-meta showmanship of, like, Here, let me show you the natural way of the world. It's the most terrifying sexual politics you've ever heard in your entire life. (laughs) And, like, he he does that shit here, too. And it is at work on something that is, frankly, creepier than what it was at work on. Yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I don't disagree with you there at all. And I, I think that... I mean, I don't want to do the thing that we do all the time anyway. But we claim that we don't want to do... Where it's like, you know, how do we make this movie not this movie and therefore better? Yeah. I I do feel like there is a a way to do this musical, if anybody wants to do a stage version of it, where even just through, like, what you see happening on stage, even if it's not additional scenes written in or dialogue or songs, where Honoré comes out indicted. Instead of in this as like, look at that scamp Honoré who is like probably on his way to groom a 12 year old. And I'm like, I'm not cool with that. Yeah. (laughs) Where's the point where like he sings thank heaven for little girls and it's clearly to a woman in her 40s who then slaps him. (laughs) Yeah. And like, Like, that's how you make that work. (laughs) And like, it is this thing where like in a weird sense... That song and the moral of that song is in no way central to the plot of Gigi or the story of Gigi. But the film Gigi keeps fucking insisting it is, which is very weird and very uncomfortable. That, like, it kind of keeps going like, this is the story of the nature of womanhood being suddenly blossoming into being fuckable. And you're like, whoa. No, that is, if that is the story, I hate this movie. Yeah. And it it doesn't have to be the story of this movie. And I don't think that is what either of our leads is performing, thank God. But, like, textually, the movie keeps kind of insisting that is it. And, like, in a, like, five-paragraph essay sort of a way, like, that is our thesis. Yeah. And I mean, the the actual lyrics say, whenever I see a girl of five or six or seven. Yeah. How about whenever I see a little girl of five or six or seven, I'm like, oh, I hope she's having a nice time. Yeah. <laughs> Playing with people of, of appropriate age. Not, like, it's like Marie Chevalier is incapable of not adding 
innuendo and waggling his eyebrows every time that he sings a song and this is the worst time to do it and also why the fuck is this song in here right like that's the thing that i think that like the lubitsch fucking touch from beyond the grave is doing to this movie (laughs) is this sense of like the work of watching and enjoying Gigi is the work of fucking cutting that shit off the rest of the movie, right? And, like, yes. knowing Lubitsch, knowing the history of Maurice Chevalier makes it harder to cut that shit out, to to separate the rest of the film from that. And, like, our leads are doing the work, just, the like... Honest to God, I shouldn't excuse it, but I do kind of, I get over that song where he just keeps going, she's a girl, she's a girl, it's a girl. Because I'm just like, (laughs) yeah, but that fountain's so fucking pretty in the background. Like, ah, Paris. Like, just fucking staring at Paris instead of listening (laughs) to the words of that song does a lot of work for this movie. Yeah, 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 it does. And it definitely, this is actually a way in which uh, I think doing this project helped is that I had a lot of moments of, oh, this is what I actually wanted from an American in Paris. Yeah. Because even though Louis Jordan is definitely older than Leslie Caron, I I think it, they certainly seem to be in this film, it does not feel as dramatic as Leslie Caron and uh, Gene Kelly in an American in Paris, where I'm like, so she's 16 and he's 48. Okay, that's weird. The only person who really seems to be, like, totally age-inappropriate in the way that he talks about Gigi is Maurice Chevalier. (laughs) Yeah. But I still actually really enjoyed this movie. I did, too. Like, I mean, that's the thing, (laughs) is, like, the, the more I wasn't dealing with that, because, like, that's the... There is a part of me that's like, I don't want actually them to kind of collapse the waveform on what age she is. Because like a little bit, that's the mistake of American Paris is they're so insistent on telling you she's 18. Like Yes. That, and that, that he's like 22. And I'm like, no, or 25 no. or whatever it is that they pretend that he is. Right. And I'm like, mm, mm. <laughs> no. <laughs> and like, yeah, that that this movie kind of lets you play Calvin Ball with their ages, I think works to the movie's benefit, except that the movie keeps kind of trying to put the, like tip the scales toward a lower and lower age for Gigi. And you just have to keep like putting your hand on the scales the other way. Just like, no, she's not. No, she isn't. Hey movie, shut up. Hey, movie, be right. quiet. And and, <laughs> and and like Gaston, you're you're not you're not that old. You're 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 like the twenty year old guy who's like, oh, I'm so world weary, right? Yeah, right? yeah. You've taken right? you've taken over the family business at twenty six, right? Because you're just you're a child prodigy. <laughs> That's what's going on with you. Yeah, it's a. Uh, mm, <laughs> yep. We're we're in a weird place, but you're right that it does need to uh, that 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 nebulousness needs to exist for this to work. And to be fair, I do think that the casting actually that Leslie Caron and Louis Jordan are both correctly cast, and they are able to play these, you know, these liminal young adult spaces very well. Yeah. But I want to talk about what this movie looks like 
and the really clever direction. Yeah. First of all, Cecil Beaton, who I think is one of the greatest artists of all time, did the costume design. He also was... He sort of started, I guess, his life in art as a photographer who took pictures of all the, like, everyone famous in the 1920s or even slightly famous in the 1920s. If you have seen a beautiful photograph of them, he took it. Yeah. (laughs) So he had an incredible eye for clothes and that then, you know, turned to doing costume design and he fucking nailed it in this movie uh it did win for costume design vincent minnelli's direction i think is great the part at maxim's that you were talking about which actually happens a couple of times so you should explain that because i it's so good yeah the 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 bit is so good both musically and visually because visually there's this sort of the camera is always positioned in basically the same place where you sort of can see people enter and then the camera turns slightly and you see the sort of entire club as they sort of walk their way deeper into it. And the sort of repeated thing is whenever anyone enters, everyone in the entire place freezes and stares directly at them and starts all whispering in unison the gossip about them. Right, but before the whispering, there is... Dead silence and dead stillness. Yeah. There's like a full... Where I thought, what the fuck? Because I rented this on uh, Apple movies. I was like, what the fuck? I want my money back. The audio just crapped out. And it was, oh, no, that's on purpose. Yeah. Um, But it's like, it's so smart. And it really... Like, if, if you have tuned out at all, it will grab you by the shirt color and be like, pay attention to this film. And there's a lot of touches like that in this film. That's just the most obvious one, but Vincent Minnelli does not let you look away from this movie. <laughs> yeah, and like I, I said that the best musical performance for Maurice Chevalier was, uh, yes, I remember it well, and it is. But the best, the the this is why you hire a Maurice Chevalier moment is that he intros this sort of little character game or scene game by saying that the best thing about Maxims is that no one cares who anyone is with. No one is watching you here. And then immediately all of the crowd noise stops and everyone stares at who has walked in the room. Right. And then everyone gossips that it's, it's, yeah, it's perfect. (laughs) Yeah. But the cinematography also is really smart and bringing up the song with Maurice Chevalier and Hermione Jingold the way that that is shot and it is two actors sitting down at a table and it is so fucking compelling and there are like five different angles in this song (laughs) the way that it is shot is just so smart and i am not like a, a like i i can tell when cinematography is interesting i don't necessarily know like what is why if you shoot something from like down and on a diagonal it causes you to feel a certain way or whatever but the fact that instead of just shooting it straight on or doing just close ups but that they really wanted to give context to this and the fact that they're just both sitting in chairs when Every other musical number is much more lively, gives you that feeling of their age yeah. in such a lovely way. <laughs> yeah. 
and that like he begins that scene very active like he is about to chase this young woman up the stairs in this resort where they're at and then hears her laughing and just kind of acquiesces to like yeah this is actually my scene like this is my speed um this is very literally my scene and goes over to her in this sort of like moment of genuineness that seems from context very rare for him like it's it it is there are moments where this movie uses the fact that it cast Maurice Chevalier beautifully, Mm -hmm. like where it does kind of indict him, where it does speak to him and speak about like, Hey, this is what this is very clearly that same character from the thirties Lubitsch movies in his sixties. Right. And that like, that is lovely when it is done well And I don't even necessarily need it to come out and go like, and that's because he fucking sucks and has always sucked. I do kind of need it to say, and he's wrong about a lot of shit. Maybe a little more, maybe kind of list that shit a little bit more clearly. Yeah, but the the little girl's part. That's, that's the thing that, he's wrong that, that's, about. Just FYI, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it yeah. specifically. Maybe maybe circle that and underline it a few times. Um, but like when this movie is using that film history, well, it's, it's beautiful. Like that scene is beautiful. And like, I wouldn't give that up. I wouldn't give the, you know, like I say that I get why you fucking hate the song where he's learning, figuring out he's in love with Gigi. And I do think the lyrics uh, suck, but I do also just like the long tracking shots around Paris as he wanders around and thinks through the shit are beautiful. Like that, it is amazing to look at. And it is, that is the fucking thing about this movie. Why you can't sort of just throw it out. And the fact that the ending is good enough both like morally and just cinema quality wise that you don't want to go like, well, all the creepy shit just overpowers it because the movie does go like, yeah, forget about all that creepy shit. I don't think you can necessarily get away with just forgetting about all that creepy shit, but the movie at least wants you to. Uh, That's something. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I I mean I, I don't no know. I don't I don't know that you can just like it's it's not really that you can just forgive all of it it's that like you said earlier you have to kind of you have to kind of disconnect it from the rest of the film and then you're like okay I'm a, I'm we're all right now I don't have to I don't have to tear the stuffing out of the sofa <laughs> yeah um just one thing I want to point out before we rate this film. It did really, really well at the Oscars. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay based on something else, Best Art Direction, Cinematography, Costume Design, Editing, Scoring, Best Song, not one acting nomination for the entire thing. I mean, God, not even a nom? Nope. That's crazy. Like, yeah, I mean, obviously we haven't watched anything else in this year, but like, how is Leslie Caron, of all people in this film, not nominated for Best Actress? And in terms of just like the Academy politics, like, hey, I'm not actually that mad about it, 
But how did Maurice Chevalier not get the best supporting actor nom for You've Been Around a While, my man? Like, that just seems like such yeah, a... Yeah, f- they love that nomination. Yeah. <laughs> so that's just like, that's wild. Like, you're right. The one that's like offensive is Leslie Crone. But like the one that you're just like, wait, they didn't? Seriously? What? Um, is Maurice Chevalier. Um, yeah, I... I will be curious to kind of clock the acting for the rest of our yeah uh, for the rest of this year because that is wild. Um, there are a lot of, I mean, like certainly I would say that the performances more than the screenplay are what carries this movie. Yeah, and so that's pretty wild. With that in mind, should we should we rate this movie? Yeah. Uh fuck. Like, this is not even a tilt. It's that, like, the number just keeps shifting. Every time I look at it, I'm like, no, it's not a two. It's not a seven. It's not an eight. It's not a two. It's not a three. It's not a nine. I'm going to give it a nine. No. No. Fuck no. No. I I will go (laughs) as high as a six. That's as high as I can go because I keep like, it is creepy. It's like if the Broadway melody of 1928 had the Broadway melody of 1928 in it that often, but it was about wanting to bang little girls that like that, that like that was what the Broadway melody of 1928 was about. Like it, I can't. I simply cannot. But that's one character who we've already been like, he's fucked up, then just cut him off from the rest you're of the, the movie. One that, you're the one that points out that it's not one character. Our lead also has a creepy song about it. I mean, his song is about having watched her grow up and like, oh, can she be no longer be a, a little girl? I'm just like, could we just stop with the, the awkward I, little girl line? Um, like, I... Th- I can't do a nine. I just you don't can't. have to. <laughs> I cannot. I six six does feel a little unfair to this movie, but it also feels like I just cannot. Like I'm, if I'm sawing off the beginning, the ending, and like a major character and some of the plot beats of one of our leads. That can't be one point from the movie. (laughs) But the rest of it is so good. The rest of it is so good, but it's also, like, this is our, like, I cannot spot this this much for the costumes. The costumes are amazing. I will go watch this movie because of the costumes. I'm I'm not spotting it for the costumes. I mean, Leslie Caron is phenomenal. Hermione Jingold is phenomenal. I think that Isabel Jean as the as the aunt is actually great, and we haven't even really touched on her at all. But I think she's fucking hilarious. I mean, I I feel like everybody in this movie is is just bringing their a game, sometimes for evil. Yeah, um. <laughs> that's. I mean, that's the thing. Is like I yeah, we have excommunicated a movie for less. Is what I will say. Right, but. We have excommunicated movies for less that were not nearly as good in every other capacity. Uh, That is largely true. But I do think, like, I think that if I am, 
if we're being honest to this project where we're not spotting it this shit, like, I can't go as high as a nine. I just can't. You don't like, have I to. Under- That's why we both yeah. give scores. Yeah, I... Uh, I guess six. Like, I, I want to try and meet you in the middle somewhere or come up with something. Six is really like, low, David. Yeah, six is quite low, but, like, if you're going to stick at a nine, I'm going to stick at a six. All right. Like, I, 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 I think not, I think six is a little ridiculous. I think nine is absurd. I spent a not insignificant portion of this movie gripping my seat going no 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 and like i can't i can't do i i can't just ignore that because it because it does other things well right but nothing really comes out of Andre being a creep nothing is like no one the movie doesn't say like yeah and and he is right and just and correct in this way. I mean, I feel like the movie makes him out to be ridiculous. I can't go with you on that when, again, Thank Heaven for Little Girls is our opening number and our closing number. Like, the movie thinks that's the thesis. The movie thinks, ah, yes, another young woman has blossomed into fuckability. That is what the movie thinks this movie is about. Well, I mean, at least she... First of all, at least she is a woman. (laughs) I... Yes, that is fair. I'm a little bit in the dark about what exact definition of a woman this movie has versus my own. But yes, this movie at least is advocating for waiting until she is a woman. Yeah, it's not I, a great song. I'm I'm absolutely with you on that. Yeah. Um and but the the one that you're spotting louis jordan for that still like makes me creeped out because again it is really just him going through the the like oh but she was she was an awkward little girl like yesterday and i'm like maybe you should you should not say yesterday (laughs) yeah i mean it's the kind of the whole movie in microcosm of he means yesterday metaphorically he means yesterday metaphorically right but he's (laughs) he's actually wrestling with that and the idea of like i've watched her from when she was a little girl to you know grow into being a very young woman and like is this okay and it seems to be by the metric of the film which if i'm digging too deep now i'm gonna get a little bit like well but also the film has the thank heavens for little girls but i do think that that I do think that Maurice Chevalier's character is supposed to be ridiculous. That we are supposed to think that he is that he's absurd, and that his like when he says the thing about oh well, you know, with a with a girl like Gigi, you could be you could be captivated for whole months. That is what really pisses off Gaston, yeah. where he's like, "This is gross. I hate this. This is not what I want at all." And I think that is the only moment where there is a really explicit indictment of that idea. Now, does that, like, is it strong enough? Does that indictment actually affect Maurice Chevalier's character? No. (laughs) But for 
me as an audience member, it's like, okay, so actually the thing is not, oh, well, I just want to have a really young sort of virginal companion. It's I'm in love with this specific woman and I'm having kind of a hard time with it because I knew her when she was little. I think that that's a critical component of the movie. Even while I do think that it lets Gaston get away with being a creep. Yeah. But I don't think that it says that it's okay that he's a creep. It's just, it just accepts that he is. And like, that's, it's the, it's the like, well, you know, some guys are just creeps. And it's like, well, yeah, but we could also just, you know, not allow them in polite society. <laughs> like, there's a point in Lolita where, where you realize like, oh, I've been, like, I, as the reader, have been groomed by a Humbert Humbert the way that Lolita, the way that Dolores Hayes was groomed by him. That I'm supposed to think that he's charming and that, like, this is, I mean, I never really felt like it was okay. But there is a point where the author turns on you and is like, surprise, actually, he's a horrible kidnapper and child rapist. And how dare you have sympathized with him throughout this? And Gigi doesn't ever do that. <laughs> no. But of course, no one is trying to sleep with a 12-year-old Gigi, either. Probably. I mean, well, yeah, n- no one on screen. I, I just mean, like, that seems outside the age bracket she is. Yes, that, that's what I mean. Like, on screen, that is not happening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I also would believe 15. Yeah, if you told me that was her canonical age. I would I would believe 14 at the beginning and like 16 at the end, to be honest. Yeah. And like, that ain't great. I mean, here's the thing, like, fuck, people got married at 16 pretty regularly in the 50s. It's not great. It is still a legal age of consent in several states in the United States. Which doesn't mean it's good, for God's sake, clearly, in the Europe, but, like... No, I yeah. definitely don't... I'm not, not... I am not going on a libertarian, like, the age of consent thing here. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, like, I absolutely think that it should be 18 everywhere. But, I mean, there are plenty of, like... There are plenty of countries in Europe. I think, actually, in France, it's still 16, which is weird. Anyway, um, but, you know, she's not 14 by the end of the film. It is not one of these like, oh, well, you know, you just sometimes, sometimes you just marry off 14 year olds. That's normal. Or make arrangements for them to be kept women. That's also normal. It does feel like there is a, however brief, grappling with this idea of, am I a creep because I'm in love with someone I've known since she was a little girl? And like, that's a thing to to grapple with. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I... I would say, like, I think this movie thinks Gaston has done a great job with that when I could have used a little more legwork. But I will agree with you that, like, this movie doesn't just take it for granted that that is okay. Yes. Um, That does mean, like, I that while this movie is icky, I don't think this movie is actively advocating for anything terrible. Yes, it's just not strongly enough indicting anything terrible. And I'm, and like, there is some, like, there's some wiggle room here I'm very uncomfortable with. All right, I will come down to an eight. 
I'll I'll come up to a seven. And like it, really either way, I will say watch this movie. But like boy in a screen test of time sense the start and end of this movie don't hold up at all. And I mean, like, literally the first and last scene. Yeah. That, like, makes it real tough to enjoy the rest of this movie that is objectively very enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, I would say that uh, having listened to this podcast, if if that's where you are right now, take courage in the fact that it's not going to get worse. Yeah, I yes, the very first scene is as like it's in a weird way, this sort of karmic retribution for what we always said about Maurice Chevalier in the 30s, where he was always kind of so charming, he would reel you in at the start. And so you would resent him toward the end. And here he almost immediately basically ruins the movie. And then the movie has to keep reeling it back. And it's incredible how well it does that. But I also am just like, God, that fur, it's so bad. What a wrong foot to start off on. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. It is absolutely the inverse of the the previous Maurice Chevalier problem. <laughs> yeah. So next week, we are watching, what are we watching? We are watching The Defiant Ones. Ooh, I'm excited about this one too. This is a good year, David. I Yeah, I like, I know that I've tempted fate before by saying it, and it is certainly not a like, well, all movies will be enjoyable. We're going to love everything from here on in kind of like our movie's good now. But like, hey... I don't think I see a year from here on where there's not at least one movie I'm really looking forward to. And usually like two, usually two or three movies where I'm like, hell yeah, we're going to watch Lawrence of Arabia and The Music Man in the same year and fucking To Kill a Mockingbird. That's going to rule. Oh, dude, Lawrence of Arabia is going to be one where you and I are going to die. <laughs> I be diametrically opposed then if you're excited about it (laughs) Eh, i'm excited about the cinematography of lawrence of arabia i'm not excited about the i could really see this being the exact inverse of this episode we are currently in where yeah (laughs) where there's just a lot of i mean by the end of it it's not openly advocating for the just dog shit parts of what it's talking about here and it's also really pretty (laughs) Yep, and we will get to that in a few years. When when is Lawrence of Arabia? And we'll get 62. to that in in four years. Yeah. Also, I just want to shout out one of our listeners, Robert, who is apparently starting from pretty early on in the project, but he just listened to the Captain Blood episode a few months ago and sent us an email because we said something about is Blood actually a surname that anyone has ever had? Turns out, yes, there is even a Wikipedia entry for Blood surname uh, that lists some notable people with the last name. Uh, And apparently Robert also has an acquaintance who has the last name Blood. Ooh. So, a few years passed when we put that episode out, but that's the great thing about recorded media is people can listen to it whenever. (laughs) So thanks, Robert, for shooting us that email. 
Yeah, and and Robert, I would like your friend to know that I think your friend has an unrealistically cool last name. I could yeah. not believe somebody <laughs> had a last name that rad. Yes. So please take it in that spirit. Yes, and, and your friend should as well. Uh, also, if you ever have anything that you would like to tell us about something you've heard of the pod- on the podcast, you can always email us at screentestoftime at gmail.com. And until next week. Yeah, this was... This was not a Lubitsch movie. No, well... But his ghost haunted it. Yeah, this... Yeah. It wasn't a Lubitsch movie, but it made me think about Lubitsch movies too much for comfort. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. To be fair, for me, that's at all. (laughs) Yes, I... Yeah. And from scene one. So just, yeah. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. The night they invented champagne. It's plain as it can be. They, they thought, thought of you and me. me. The night they invented, invented champagne.